we have been working through a series called Word Made Flesh, and today we finish up that uh, series, and we get to finish it on Christmas morning, which is just um, so much fun. So I'm so glad that you're here. And so let me read to you. Uh, I'm going to read the first 18 verses of John chapter 1. We're only going to be focused in on the last four verses in John chapter 1, but I want to catch up from where we have come from. So I'm going to read verses John 1 through 118, and then we'll pray. And by the way, I'm going to be short today. I mean, maybe like 15, 20 minutes. And I'm saying that out loud to keep myself accountable. <laughs> That's how long I'm going to go. Um, so we'll get you out here, out of here pretty quick so you can worship with your family. But John 1, 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but came to bear witness about the light. The true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. John bore witness about him and, and cried out that this is he of whom I said, he who comes after me ranks before me because he was before me. For from his fullness, we have all received grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses, grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, the only God who is at the Father's side. He has made him known. So when I was a kid, um, I spent a lot of time in a restaurant that my family ran called the White Leghorn. You might know what a White Leghorn is. It's a chicken. Good job. All right. It is a chicken, right? And so my mom was a waitress. My sister and brother-in-law ran the kitchen, um, and I spent the bulk of my childhood in this uh, restaurant called the White Leghorn. And the White Leghorn was one of those, I keep saying Leghorn, but we called it Leghorn, right? It's, got, it's like L-E-G-G-O-N, Leghorn. Um, and so the White Lake, it was one of those places where people from all over the state of Texas would come and visit our little restaurant. If you know your Texas cities well, it was kind of a place right in between Cuero and Nixon Smiley, or if you want to go bigger, right in between Victoria and San Antonio. And I'll never forget the day that the legendary Nolan Ryan walked into our restaurant, right? Does anybody here not know who Nolan Ryan is? All right. Shame on you. Check yourself at the door, okay? Um, he was a Major League Baseball player, one of the greatest, probably the best pitcher that has ever lived. And as a kid, he was my hero. I mean, I had Nolan Ryan posters all over my wall when I was in Little League. I wanted to pitch because Nolan Ryan pitched. In my mind, he was a superhero. And then all of a sudden, my hero was standing right in front of me, right? And my mom, by the way, even let me serve him water 
and I ended up spilling it all over the table and over him. That's a whole other story that I have trauma about. Um, But in my mind, who Nolan Ryan was, he changed. Who he was to me changed. He was no longer this untouchable hero that I saw on TV. In my little six-year-old mind, Nolan Ryan was my friend, right? We were best friends. I had seen him. I had touched him. I had told him how much I liked Pokemon, right? So we talked about Bulbasaur. I had told him how I was a pitcher just like he was. There was something about meeting him in in person, meeting him in the flesh that changed the way I thought about him. It changed the way I viewed him, and it changed the way that I talked about him, that my perspective on Nolan Ryan changed. And so today, on Christmas morning, which is so cool that we get together together, on Christmas morning, my prayer is that as we walk through this text, you would see how the untouchable, the impossible has become possible, that we would grasp together the unbelievable gift that God has given us in the birth of Jesus Christ, that he isn't just some deity out there. He isn't just some deity that's untouchable, but that he is near to us, that the reality is the God of the universe, the creator of all things, he has come to be with us. We can talk to him. We can see him. We can know him, that his coming shapes the trajectory of our lives. And the incarnation is the ultimate declaration of the faithfulness and love of God. And so for the next few minutes, my hope is that we can see and behold both the majesty and the kindness of Christ in his coming. So let's read verse 14 again. It says, And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. We have seen his glory. Glory is the only son from the Father, full of grace and truth. So I would remind you of verse one here, that in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. So the word that was in the beginning, he was there before all things. He was not created. He stood alone as God with the Spirit and the Father, with the Trinity, that this word became flesh. And the text says he became flesh for a specific purpose. Do you see it? It says it wasn't like the word just became flesh and disappeared, right? It says the word became flesh and what? He dwelt among us. That word dwelt, it means to pitch a tent, right? There are a lot of implications in that phrase that go all the way back to the Old Testament, but I was told I only had 15 minutes. So uh, for our time today, just consider the account of the birth of Jesus in Matthew, in Matthew 1.20. It's going to be on the screen. Here's what um, Joseph is told. It says, as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son. And you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. And all this took place to fulfill what the Lord has spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. What's so cool about us gathering together on Christmas is that we as the church can take a second and really feel the weight of that. Feel the weight that God came to be with us, the God of the heavens, the maker of the mountains, the one who thought up and created water, who created trees, rain, like thought up the idea and created, the God who created you, who designed you, who meticulously put together 
your DNA, who made you with intentionality, who made your children, your brother, your sister, your parents with intentionality, that that God became like us, to dwell among us, to be with us. And you know, Christmas, it's, it's a day for many of us full of hope, full of joy, full of traditions. Um, it's a wonderful day, but for many of us here too, today's kind of bittersweet, am I right? For some of us here, it's a little bit of a bittersweet day because we feel these different stings of life. Like some of us here are just exhausted. <laughs> You're just trying to make it through Christmas Day. Some of us here are in a lot of pain and a lot of hurt for some things that have happened. Some of us feel the sting of sin, of our own failures and sin. Some of us feel the sting of death, that there are people that you wish were here with you that are missing out on all the traditions that you shared together for so long. And my prayer is that as we really consider and meditate on the reality that Jesus has come, that that he has come for us in his full divinity and his full humanity, that we would find comfort that he has come to give us rest in our exhaustion, that he has come to give us forgiveness in our failure and our sin, that he's come to redeem us, that he's come to give us comfort, to heal us from that hurt and pain, and that he's come to have victory over the sting of death, that that would give us comfort. Our king has come for us, and let's not forget that when he came, he came in his full divinity. He was fully God. As the scripture says, we have seen his glory. Glory is the only son from the Father, two natures, divine and human. It wasn't like God appointed a human to do something. God didn't give anyone any special powers. He came himself in his full authority. Like, consider, when you think about the birth of Christ today, I hope you think about Colossians 1.16, that this is who came. It says, for by him, all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him, this baby, through him, And for him, and he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. Think about that on Christmas. He is not only the beginning of all things, but he is also the way in which all things are sustained. I mean, think of it this way. When Jesus is arrested in the Garden of Gethsemane, they grab him with hands that he created, but they also grab him with the power that he sustains With the muscles that he holds together, they use those muscles to slap him. They use the moisture in their mouths that he holds together and sustains to spit on him. They nail him with metal that he spoke into existence on a tree that he created. And keep in mind that at any moment, he could have stopped anything. He could have done whatever. I mean, when Jesus is arrested, Peter cuts off a guy, you remember, uh, not cuts, cuts a guy's ear off. Remember that story? And Jesus just boop, casually puts it back on. And what does Peter tell Jesus, or Jesus tell Peter in Matthew 26, 53? He says, do you think that I cannot appeal to my father and he will at once send me more than 12 legions of angels? He essentially says, no one is taking my life from me. He says, I'm giving it. See, it wasn't that Jesus was just like God. No, he is and was God. I mean, that's why Philippians 2 says, though he was in the form of God, he did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. 
but emptied himself by taking on the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, that the word became flesh and he took on the form of a servant. He's born in our likeness, which leads to the natural question that we should all be asking on Christmas. Why? Why did he come? Why did he allow himself to be arrested? Why didn't he call on the angels to help him? Why all of this? Well, a few verses later in Matthew 26, Jesus says in verse 56, he says, all this has taken place that the scriptures of the prophets might be fulfilled. That all of this, all of history, all of creation, every moment is according to the providential plan of God from the coming of Christ to the death of Christ to the return of Christ. And think about it. And in that garden, he had all power. He had all authority. When he was in that manger, he had all power. He had all authority. But it wasn't something to be grasped. It doesn't mean that he wasn't able to do something. What it means is that he did not intend to use that power for selfish gain. He emptied himself. That in humility, he walked among us. That he came full of grace and truth. That in him, we see the pinnacle of what it means to be gracious. Think about that. In Jesus, we see the pinnacle of what it means to be gracious, what it means to be kind, what it means to be gentle, what it means to be full of truth, that he came in grace and truth. And at the center of the engine in our souls that drives our humility before God and before one another is in result of a real encounter with Christ. A real encounter with Christ. I mean, here's the question that I hope, or here's the conversation I hope you have today. As you're with family or friends or maybe a phone call with a sister or a brother, I hope the conversation comes up about, the, do you see the transforming grace of Christ in your life? Do you see it? Can you acknowledge and identify the transforming grace of Christ. When you look at Jesus, do you see the unbelievable grace that he gives? Grace upon grace. And if your answer is yes, that you do see the transforming grace of Christ, here's what you're saying. You're saying, one, I do see my sin. I see my sin clearly. I see my sin and I grieve my sin. I'm able to acknowledge it, which is painful. It's, it's, it's hard for us to acknowledge that we fall short. It's hard for us to acknowledge that, that we've filled our lives with idols and a person who truly sees their sin is filled with grief over their sin. And kids, you too, to be able to see your disobedience, to be able to see that you have fallen short and to say, God, I grieve my sin. That we would be able to say that, that we don't want our sin. It fills our hearts with great pain, but also that we would be able to see just the majesty of God. I mean, the king of glory that we would be able to say with Jeremiah in Jeremiah 10, 6. There is none like you, O Lord. You are great and your name is great in might to agree and acknowledge that we have no real power in this life. That God holds all the cards. He moves the pieces on the board as he pleases. And a person who sees the transforming grace of Christ sees their sin clearly and sees the great power of Christ. But those two things in themselves are not enough. You, you, can, you can grieve your sin and you can acknowledge that God is powerful, but at the end of the day, that, 
that in itself is not enough. What transforms each of us is the understanding that God in all his power, in all his holiness, in all his majesty, he came. He came from perfect heaven to broken earth, and he met us in the midst of our sin. And he broke that curse that held us under the penalty that it brought. And when he came, he poured out on us grace. I mean, look at verse 17 in John 1. It says, for the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. That the law of Moses revealed the character of God. That if you want to know God, follow the law. That was the belief. If you want to know God, follow the law. And if you can follow God's law perfectly, then you can fully know God. But what's the problem with that? No one can keep the law. We all fall Short, So that's why it says grace and truth came through Jesus. That the only way for us to know the fullness of God, to know the fullness of God, was for God to come as a substitute for our sin. And as he laid on that cross, he took my sin and he took your sin that we see the pinnacle of grace and truth. That God hates sin so much. God hates sin so much that he would send his son to die. That's the judgment of God on sin. That God would send his son to die. Sin must be punished and God came himself to pay that price. But also that God loves us so much that he would send his son to die. We see grace and truth on the cross. It's the beautiful mystery of the gospel that the word that created all things, that word was God and that word became flesh to die. And in his death, we see the wonderful grace of Christ. I mean, look at verse 18. No one has ever seen God, the only God, who is at the Father's side. He has made him known that God has revealed who he is through Jesus. And for anyone who has truly seen him, there can only be one response. Worship. (laughs) Worship. To truly see and encounter Jesus my prayer is that our response would be worship. And so today, as you have conversations, as you meditate and think on the significance of what we as the church celebrate as Christmas, I hope that we are filled with worship. I hope that we are able to acknowledge our sin, the great majesty of God, and the transforming grace of Christ. Grace upon grace. God with us. And and here's the deal for those of us that may struggle on this day. In him, our hope can never be lost. Because if you're his, he will never let you go. He will never stop pursuing you. He will never stop coming for you. And we know that's true because in the midst of our sin and shame, he came. He came. The word became flesh. 